Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everyone, and welcome into another edition of B-Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer. Alongside you here on Sunday, July 18th, as the St. Louis Cardinals polish off the Giants for the second time this season, winning another series. They went out to San Francisco just a bit before the All-Star break and got things done out west, two out of three, and then they come to St. Louis here, first series of the second half of the season, and they do the same. Friday was not their night. That's the last time we spoke. But since then, the Cardinals winning a pair of games by allowing just one run to San Francisco. They only score a total of five runs combined across the two games. But when the pitching is on, this Cardinals team is at its best. And that's really been the story of the season for the Cardinals. Because while the offense had some good days early on in the season, I wouldn't ever say that they were a consistent force offensively they never did it with regularity the Cardinals and we've talked about this going back several years now have seemed to have the issue where they'll score eight nine double digits but then the next night they might only get you one or two and that's not a new problem for the Cardinals but it was more noticeable during the month of June when they weren't getting consistency out of their rotation you had some struggles with the middle of the Cardinals bullpen as well And that's why you saw the losses begin to pile up. The Cardinals fall below 500, entering the All-Star break a few games below that marker. I think it was a couple of games below. And then Friday, they fall to three games under. But the last couple of days, able to right the ship a little bit, playing good baseball against the best team in baseball. The Giants, who have had the best record in the major leagues for much of the season. Cardinals, for whatever reason, have had their number and really... Hopefully, if you're looking on the bright side of things and and trying to find an optimistic viewpoint, you would say that it's a sign of things to come because both these Giants series have taken place over the last couple weeks after the Cardinals had supposedly, allegedly, so they say, turned the corner on their season, begun to dig back into the fundamentals and the, the quality approach to baseball that they expected themselves. Mike Schilt admitting at one point in time that they had kind of gotten away from that. But then with the Pittsburgh series a few weeks ago, they said they really started to get back to to the basics and back to the fundamentals of what they expect of themselves, and the results would ultimately follow. Well, we've seen the results against the Giants, but again, you got to credit the pitching staff. It, it wasn't too much on the offense what they've been able to do. Really disappointing to see the Cardinals get 15 base runners on board on Friday night and only be able to come away with two runs, so it would seem a little disingenuous for us to have a a totally different conversation about the offense today and and speak about some of the positives that they did when really the the outcome was the same. They only scored two runs, but Sunday they did it in a way that allowed for a lot more optimism in that they were able to make the most of what they had. Against Johnny Cueto on Sunday, Cardinals' offense wasn't great. When you just get five hits – It's not ideal. They didn't walk all too many times, just a couple of walks in the game on Sunday. 
But what you what you did have was situational and timely hitting, and that's what really evaded the Cardinals in the loss on Friday night, where you know you had tons of hits. You were you were constantly threatening to make some noise on the base paths. You had base runners. You had opportunities. You just didn't get it done. On Saturday, it was really just the Paul Goldschmidt show. Goldie went three for four, had a couple of runs driven in, and another homer for Paul Goldschmidt in that game. But even in a three-run outing on Saturday, the Cardinals just had seven hits. But you're able to take a little bit more advantage of the hits that you do have and, and find that when your pitching staff is keeping you in a game, you're tuned in to the fact that you have to have a little bit of timeliness and situational hitting to go along with what you're trying to do, which is win a baseball game. Paul DeYoung has looked a lot better as of late. Looked up his numbers since June 25th, prior to the game today anyway. DeYoung entered the contest over the last few weeks with a 1137 OPS, 1.137, so well over 1,000. DeYoung entered today and then hit another home run. So over his last three weeks or so, he's been a much more competent player, and you're starting to see the batting average creep up for him. He's eclipsed the 200 mark, not by a margin that's enough to say he'll be able to stay above that. He's just at 205 right now. But uh, 708 on the OPS, that's approaching Dylan Carlson territory. Like, you you think about the guys that have been kind of derided by the fan base and people give them a hard time for the year they're having. Paul DeYoung gets hot for a couple of weeks, and just like that, he's eight points lower in OPS compared to Dylan Carlson, who I mentioned this on Friday, that I would move Carlson out of the leadoff spot. Mike Schilton has not made any such changes over the last couple of days. Did give Matt Carpenter the start on Sunday as opposed to Tommy Edmond, but otherwise really not a whole lot going on with switching the lineup around. And when the Cardinals are winning, Mike Schilt's not going to make those moves. And over the last two days, even though the offense hasn't been the reason for it, uh, they have won a couple of games. So I don't know if that means you're going to continue to see Carlson in the leadoff spot. I will continue to say until, A, it starts to look differently, or B, a change actually happens. I'll continue to say that I think Carlson moving him down in the order, taking a little bit of the pressure off, allowing him to go through the rut that he's in without it being in such a prominent place in the batting order. Batting average down to 251, but more importantly to me, uh, OPS is where I'm looking at for Carlson. Uh, And the same thing with Tommy Edmond when he's been having his struggles. You'd like to see these guys get an opportunity to, to make an impact in the power element of the game on-base element of the game. That's why I look at OPS a lot of times. 716 for Carlson. Feels like about as low as he's been all season. And Tommy Edmond did have a pinch hit appearance today. He's down to 664. So two guys that, you know, probably both of them above the league average in batting average. I think that's been a number that across Major League Baseball has dropped pretty considerably in 2021. I think it's around 240. And both those guys are in the 250s. But when you're not adding too much of a power element to your game, which we haven't seen too much of of that from either guy, Carlson nor Edmund, as of late, that's going to cause your OPS to suffer, especially if you're not taking walks. There's really no other way to to, to pad those stats without taking walks to pad the the on-base and and having some power swings that can impact the games in that way. And so overall, I think you'd like to see a little bit more from the top of the Cardinals order right now. I don't know if, if they'll end up making that shakeup at any point in time. But what you're seeing from some of the other spots in the lineup, you've got some positivity. Goldschmidt, again, had another nice day. Just a one for three, but he also had a walk. 
the OPS for him up. It's approaching 800 now at 792, and you, you've had you've had Arenado kind of going in the opposite direction, which is unfortunate. And the question was posed to Mike Schilt today: Wouldn't it be nice to see Goldsmith and Arenado hot at the same time in the lineup, back to back in the batting order? Because we've seen at points in the season. Arenado really had a pretty good start, and then it started to fade, whereas Goldschmidt, a little bit of the opposite, started slower, but is starting to find his ascent a little bit. And as those two things are happening, they're about to meet in the middle. Goldschmidt, OPS of 792, Arenado 795. So Goldschmidt, really pretty close to, to passing Arenado in productivity. Goldie's got 15 homers. I think Arenado's at like 17, but... Pretty similar batting lines at this point in time as the OPSs collide there in the upper 700s. We'd like to see both of those guys end up handily above 800 by the end of the season. And Arenado for his track record, and Goldschmidt too, but Arenado in particular is a guy that's resided more in the upper 800s and and flirts with 900 pretty often throughout his career. So Cardinals would love to see Arenado get going, but it's just been a tough go of things for him as of late to where you, you've got to figure out how you're going to score your runs. And the Cardinals, they do get a win. We're going to talk about the pitching for sure because that was the reason they got it done on Sunday. But give a little credit, too, to the fact that on a day where the offense easily could have been shut out. I mean, without one swing from DeYoung, the homer that he hit in the third inning, and then scoring that other run in the seventh, you do get shut out. And how do they come up with the run in the seventh? It, it, totally manufactured. You get the leadoff double by Matt Carpenter, and you don't get another hit that leaves the infield throughout the rest of the inning. Jose Rondon, the pinch runner, I I like the aggressiveness there to say, hey, this run matters. We've got to have it. And so if we think Rondon is a better runner than Carpenter, we're going to make the switch. Cardinals, Mike Schilt does at that point. And then you get DeYoung contributing once again, Hits a fly ball to right field, exactly what the Cardinals needed in that moment if they're going to try to manufacture that second run. Gets the runner to third base, and then you've got Harrison Bader coming up in a situation where you've got one out, you've got a lot of ways you can potentially get that run home, and a little bit of an excuse-me swing. like It was a check swing, didn't just happen to, to put the bat to the ball, but with his speed, able to beat it out to first base after the first baseman, Lamont Wade, kind of juggles it a little bit. Bader didn't need to get there to first base safely in order for the run to score because there was only one out. Rondone pretty much gone on contact. And then once the ball was bobbled, you knew he was going to score. But it was it made for some excitement there at the ballpark to see Bader beat that out. The fact that he's stumbling over first base and then ends up basically on his knees, all dirty, looking at the dugout and and, and giving the laugh, kind of like the are you not entertained, and uh, Bader able to get the job done there. However, you got to come up with that second run. It was necessary to do because you knew the bullpen was going to be able to get you the rest of the way after that. I really don't think we've talked about regarding this Cardinals team and the way they have sort of begun to stabilize over the last couple weeks. We have not talked enough about Wade LeBlanc. It's just a crazy story, the fact that this guy was a cast-off from the Orioles, wasn't even in their rotation when he was with them. He made a start, but otherwise was in the bullpen for those guys earlier in the, in the year, back in April. Had an ERA near 9, and so they got rid of him. I think he bounced around and was maybe even had another minor league team he was with before the Cardinals picked him up. But Cardinals pick him up, and and they're like, yep, you're you're part of this. We're bringing you right in throwing you into the fire. They did exactly that. He was part of the bullpen for a few outings 
when he first got to St. Louis and the the thought process with him there, the the narrative surrounding Wade LeBlanc was, well, he throws strikes. I mean, you got a 36-year-old guy who has been around the block in the big leagues, and the Cardinals are absolutely desperate at that point in June for anything they can get. Didn't matter whether whether it was a starter, a reliever, they just needed innings. And so LeBlanc gets a couple of opportunities out of the bullpen, and I believe the outing, you know, he he was pretty good there for the first few outings, and then he had one where he gave up a homer, and it was coming on in relief still at that point in time. And that was right around the, the moment where you could feel it begin to turn, the injuries were mounting, and it was like, I think they're going to put this guy in the starting rotation. Like, it's going to happen that Wade LeBlanc is going to be a, a starter for the 2021 St. Louis Cardinals, and it, it was coming off that outing where he had pitched two and a third, gave up three runs. It's like, ah, oh, really? I mean, I don't think this is going to be the answer, but they didn't feel like they had any other options. They made the move to move John Gant to the bullpen, which I agreed with. I felt that you just needed to, to change something for him to try to shift the trajectory that he was on. And to Gant's credit, he's allowed, I think, a couple walks since moving to the bullpen, but has been primarily effective in, in, in the role that they've asked him to fill, and I think that can be a boon to the Cardinals' bullpen the rest of the way as well. But when you get Wade LeBlanc in there, you don't know what you're going to get. You, you, you recognize that he's been able to go multi-inning stints for you already since joining the team. But it's like this guy wasn't pitching in the big leagues from mid-April to mid-June, practically two months, maybe a month and a half, where he wasn't in the big leagues. Is he built up? Is he going to be able to, uh, you know, those are the questions the Cardinals were asking about the guys contending in their starting rotation back in spring training. The questions were like, all right, third time through the, the batting order, can we rely on this guy? Is he more of a reliever type? You know, John Gant, there was a question where, you know, can he get very deep in the game? What can we expect from him? It was a reason that they didn't want to put Alex Reyes in that position because they weren't sure building him up right away after, you know, not pitching a whole lot in 2020 and then not pitching at all really the, the previous three seasons. Was it the right way to go for Alex Reyes and his career trajectory? And we're going to be talking about him as well when we get to the bullpen from Sunday's game because he set an MLB record on Sunday, which is absolutely fantastic for Alex Reyes, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But when it was per the conversation of, is he going to be a starter? Ah, we'll wait till 2022. We'll, we'll use this year to build him up because we, you know, you just didn't think it would, would be reasonable to put him in the rotation based on the trajectory of 100 innings where you wanted him. Well, you don't want to waste him 100 innings for the first four months of the season, and then you can't use him at all after that. So they wanted to go a different route with Alex Reyes. Well, at this point in June, when they're they're putting literally Wade LeBlanc into their rotation, it was clear. They didn't care about any of that. It was like, can you throw strikes? Can you get outs? Can you keep us in a ball game? They thought the answer to those questions for Wade LeBlanc was yes or maybe at least more so than they could have said with confidence about anybody else that could have been given the chance in the rotation. And so Wade LeBlanc goes out four and a third innings, one run. That was against Arizona on June 28th. Then at Colorado was pretty darn good, five and two-thirds scoreless baseball. Just out of nowhere being able to get the job done. It's like, all right, well, I guess maybe now you have some semblance of reliability in the, the rotation. He goes in the outing in Chicago, gives up three runs over three innings, and that was like, okay, that's kind of maybe more what you'd expect. But even in that game where he, he gave up more walks than you'd like to see and he didn't get very deep at all, they were still in the game. Like, they lost that game, if I recall correctly, but 
Wade LeBlanc kept them in the mix, which on, on the bad days for Carlos Martinez before he got hurt, that wasn't what you were getting. You weren't in the mix. You were giving up 10 runs, 8 runs, and you were out of it, and that was a loss and a day where the bullpen just had to try to get through the remainder of the innings when you knew you weren't going to win a ball game. With LeBlanc, every time they've at least had a chance. And again on Sunday, he gave them a chance. Five innings, one run, gave it up on a solo homer to Darren Ruff that went into Big Mac land. Absolutely got all of that one. So that's going to happen. Uh, you know, when, when you live in the strike zone and you're 36 years old and you don't have the best stuff in the world, and I'm not trying to denigrate Wade LeBlanc, but I think he would he would tell you, you've got to be fine on the corners. You've got to be able to hit your spots. And on occasion, you're, you're going to give up a long one. That's what he did. Pretty much negated the Paul DeYoung home run that happened in the prior inning. But for LeBlanc, you get you get to pitch into the sixth inning. You've got your team in the ball game, And then from there, Mike Schilt picks the right opportunity, the right moment to go to the bullpen and, and try to allow those guys to bring it home. And on his birthday, Ryan Helsley was fantastic. Saving the day, really. If, if, if you're going to award a player of the game, to me, it's got to be Ryan Helsley for Sunday's game because when he comes into that sixth inning, you've got runners on first and third, nobody out, a very dire situation when it's a tie game at one-to-one, and you're thinking, I don't know, is the offense going to score again today? Like, if they if they don't, we're going to lose anyway, but we're tied right now. We're right here in the thick of this game. We'd love to be able to keep it right there, but a couple of singles that, that Wade LeBlanc gave up before departing after five, after five, so he's in the sixth inning at that point. His, his box score says five innings, one run, perfectly suitable. But it only said that because of the job Ryan Helsley was able to do on his birthday, number 27, which uh, I realize he is the closest Cardinal to me in age. I thought it was Bader, who's like June 3rd, I think is his birthday, 1994. I'm July 1st, 94. And Helsley coming in on July 18th, just a 17-day difference. So he a little bit closer to me than Bader, but I am older than Helsley. So I've, I've got that going for me. I don't know that that's a positive, though. As time goes on, like I remember being in the clubhouse and like Carson Kelly being one of the first Cardinals that was like older than me. Alex Reyes might also be older than me. I can't remember what the deal was with that if he's he's a little older, a little younger as I type it out. No, he's a little younger. He's still 26. So he'll turn 27 on August 29th. But... The, the birthday boy, Helsley, was great. Had two strikeouts in the inning. They, they decided to go with an intentional walk to load the bases. Had a fly ball in the middle of that event that Harrison Bader caught, charged. He gets behind every ball that he catches, which is what, one of the things that's so great about Harrison Bader in center field. Made sure to, to throw it strongly to home plate. Throw was a little bit offline, but, but the, the, the fact that he does everything fundamentally so well the the runner from third was not going to take off. And then once the ball squirted a little bit away, pitcher was on top of it. Yachty was on top of it. They weren't going to allow anything crazy to happen at that point in time. And so able to hold it right there and then a strikeout to end the inning. Just a really, really good job by Helsley. And then you get into the rest of the bullpen, and these are the guys that you can trust. And, and this may have been their best moment of the season collectively, for a trio that's had a lot of good moments this season in Henesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes, they go boom, 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 seven, eight, nine. That's the way you want to draw it up. Henesis uh, did walk a guy, but struck out two. Gallegos striking out the side, and his inning was just tremendous in the eighth. And then Reyes does walk a couple. He he does. He makes it interesting 
more often than you'd like to see, more often than he would like to have happen, but ultimately doesn't give up any hits. He gives up soft contact. That's what makes him so dangerous. You know, you can allow a walk here and there and get away with it when they they, they just aren't able to square you up. And you, and you do have the strikeout stuff. You're capable of putting guys away like that. Reyes doesn't get any Ks in the outing today, but a scoreless ninth inning for his 22nd save of the season in 22 save opportunities, 24 for 24 to start his career. I guess he might have had a couple last year at the end. Um, I don't I don't know. I don't know if he ever had a save before 2020, but at any rate, 24 to begin a career sets an MLB all-time record, beating out Latroy Hawkins, who began his career, former closer of the Rockies and maybe a couple of other teams, Latroy Hawkins, beats out Latroy Hawkins for that record with his 24th consecutive save opportunity to begin a season. So he goes 24 in a row. He does something nobody has ever done in MLB history. And that's just such a great thing for Alex Reyes. I know it's kind of one of those records that maybe you're like, eh, whatever. But I feel like that's a meaningful record, especially when you consider the fact that we talk about the walks being a factor for Alex Reyes over the course of time. And it's so funny. I'm looking up now Latroy Hawkins. I associated him with the Rockies, which is so true, but it was just one season with the Rockies. He pitched forever with Minnesota and then bounced around Cubs, Baltimore, Rockies, Houston, Milwaukee, L.A., Angels, Mets, and then back with the Rockies in 14. So I guess that's not true. He had two separate stints with the Rockies, which is why it was so indelible in my mind. But anyway, maybe describing him as former Rockies closer, not the the best way I could have described the uh, longtime MLB veteran Latroy Hawkins, who on his MLB.com player page is in a Toronto Blue Jays hat. And I just went through every team that he was with. He never, okay, 2015, he finished with Toronto. All right, what do you know? The more you know. But the record for Reyes, I think it's it's meaningful because, A, when you do walk guys like he has done at, at times this season, you know, has always kind of pitched through danger, which is a hallmark of a, of a good Cardinals closer. You can't make it simple. You can't make it easy. You have to make things interesting. And Alex Reyes has done just that. But he hasn't blown a single opportunity. And I feel bad the fact that we're talking about this so much. And when he sets the record, it's it's going to be a topic of conversation. He's probably going to blow his next save now because of the fact that we're talking about it so much. I feel bad about that. But he's been tremendous so far for the Cardinals in just the, the epitome of reliability at this point, right? Like, you can't do much better than not blowing any saves. And so to, to put that record into context, the fact that he's a guy who does – pitch around traffic, but he's never once let you down over the course of 24 in a row. That's really impressive. Impressive for anybody, but impressive for a guy who, you know, he was he was making his big league debut back in 2016 as a starter and has had a long road back to just being healthy again. And, you know, you just hope that continues to be the, the, the fortune for him to be able to keep his health because he's electric when he does. He was an all-star, deservingly so. Got to pitch in the all-star game. Did a great job out there recording a couple of outs. And now continuing just right where he left off. Picking right back up in the second half of the season. Looking really good. Cardinals, I mean, they relied on him in this series, right? Because when you only score five runs in the two wins that you have, you know you're getting some good pitching. So didn't do a podcast last night, but did want to bring up Alex Reyes getting the job done in consecutive days. And Kwon Young Kim, we should at least backtrack a little bit to talk about the job that he did on Saturday. He's been really good. And I know he's, you know, not a spring chicken. I think he's like 33 years old, 
not going to take the time to look that up because we're kind of wrapping things up here with the podcast. But the fact that he's still performing at this level and you didn't really necessarily know what he would be before he got to MLB, like how the stats from the KBO would translate. He looked really good last year and is continuing to I, – I, there's just something about the way he pitches, the quick pace, be able to keep guys off balance, be able to induce some soft contact. He gets his strikeouts when he needs to. He, he was huge for the Cardinals with six shutout on Saturday and talked about after the game, I know his family was in attendance from Korea for the first time, which is really cool with all that he had to go through in 2020, being away from his family during COVID. That's not at all the way he expected his first year in St. Louis to go, I'm sure. And so the fact that with a little bit of a loosening of travel restrictions, they were able to see him pitch yesterday and, and did a great job. That's just really cool to see and, and excited for him. But the fact that, well, he's not under contract anymore after this year, but he would like to stay in St. Louis. That's what he said last night. I, I was not on the Zoom, but I did see the tweet where he was asked about it and said, you know, he could see himself pitching for several more seasons in, in the big leagues and would like to do that in St. Louis. So I don't know if there's if there's room in this season or if maybe in the off season be able to, to do another contract with KK. I think what, when you look at where the Cardinals' rotation is, like coming out of the All-Star break, they were Wainwright, KK and Wade LeBlanc. Like, you had your pick of the litter, and your third starter was Wade LeBlanc. Now, he did a great job on Sunday, but, you know, that kind of tells you where you are with some of your injuries and, and the depth of the rotation. You could potentially have a lot of turnover next year with Wainwright maybe not coming back. I believe Michaelis's contract is up. I, I, I may be speaking out of turn on that. That is something I'm probably going to have to look up. Nope, damn, I could have deleted that part because of how wrong I was. Nope, Michaelis is under contract for forever, apparently. So that's, that's. Uh, I knew he signed the deal, but I didn't realize it was such a long deal. And then when he signed it, 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 the deal hadn't even kicked in yet, I think is the explanation there. So, yeah, Miles Michaelis will be around. He's He's got uh, no, no trade clause and has uh, 2022 and 2023 under contract, it looks like. And I don't think any of that is an option year. So he'll be around. But other than Michaelis, who hasn't been able to pitch in the last couple of years, hasn't been healthy, so still not sure what you're going to get from him. He is beginning that rehab process probably toward the end of the month of July, going to get into some actual rehab games and try to work his way back to the Cardinals rotation. But otherwise, you know, you've got Flaherty. You do have Dakota Hudson coming back, but you could lose Wainwright. You could lose Kim. Um, I, I would think, you know, I, right now they're, you, they are your two best pitchers, so you might want to retain both those guys. But I, I just think you might want to make sure to get KK on lock. If you're appreciative of what he's done, and I think the Cardinals probably should be. I don't think you have to go too crazy. I think maybe a two-year extension would be in the cards. And I don't honestly think you'd have to break the bank necessarily all too much. Uh, they didn't pay a whole lot for him on his first contract, so he'll probably get a little bit more. But you, you might want to get that done before he is able to get to free agency. I, I know there's probably a comfort factor with St. Louis, and so that might give them a leg up even if he did get to free agency to be able to bring him back. Uh, I know he's good buddies with Wainwright, so maybe you could get those guys as a package deal somehow. But, um, you know, I think KK looks like he's still going to have plenty left in the tank, and definitely to have some continuity for the starting rotation would be a positive. Uh, you know, you could have Alex Reyes back in that group next year, so you may not be as starred for starters as you are right now if you get healthy, but... I think this year is proven. You can never have too many arms. I mean, we freaking talk about this every spring, that you're going to lose multiple starters, and usually it'll happen before the season even begins. Like, plan for that. Don't just be caught off guard, as the Cardinals kind of have been this season, where Moselak said, you know, after a month, 
where Flaherty, Michaelis goes, they both those guys go down, and then they don't add any free agents. They don't really make any moves. And then a month later, Moselak said, "Well, I you know didn't think we'd be in this position." I totally understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, you've got to assume you're going to be like if you approach starting pitching like your assumption is we're always going to be in dire straits. To me, that's the way to do it. You can never have too much pitching. I mean, starting pitching, the fact that the Cardinals didn't have it from beginning of June till the All-Star break, and right now are still probably going through it. You've got Jake Woodford pitching on Monday. Hopefully he can you know, be stretched out and, and be good for the Cardinals. And then Tuesday is probably back to the well with Johan Oviedo if they call him back up. So it's not like you've got the pitching situation solved right now. And I think you can make a case that over the last six weeks, the fact that they did not have consistency in the rotation is pretty much the reason they're handily out of a playoff spot right now. Like all you would have needed is just a little bit better and to win a couple of those games where you, you know, you were out of it because of the pitching situation, whether it was a starter, not getting the job done, or then that could be compounded by the bullpen, not being reliable in the middle innings, those kind of bridge innings to get you to the back end of games. I mean, you, you could just add not even a handful of wins. The Cardinals would be right in the mix. And that's not to say that they've they've given up on the season or they're out of it by any means. I still think they can make they can make a run at this, if especially if they pitch like they have over the last couple of days. But it's just a matter of was the hole you dug for yourself and was the time spent not fixing those issues where you just lost so much ground, does that end up proving too much to make up? I, again, we've seen the Cardinals do it. 10 and a half games back on August 25th or whatever it was in 2011. You hate to hark it back to that miracle season, but it has been done before and, and theoretically could be done again. But you've got to have the pieces in place to be able to go on that kind of run and win that number of games. And right now the Brewers keep winning and they're, they're having a pretty good season up there in Milwaukee. So there's, there's no guarantee that they're just going to make their way back down to you and that 83 wins or whatever is going to be able to win the NL Central this season. Like, I think the fact that you're tied for third, you're not even in third by yourself, you're tied with the Cubs at a game below 500. The the Central is kind of playing out the way we expected. Four teams kind of in the neighborhood of contention. Granted, I, I didn't know that the Cubs would be bad enough to where they would consider selling off all their pieces before the deadline. I don't know that trading Jock Peterson is an indication that the floodgates are about to open for them, but they certainly could go that direction. And they've got a lot of pieces that, if you can move them and get something for them, the Cubs could be able to turn things around pretty quickly, but they're just going to have to find that new core. They've got a lot of guys right now that they, I guess they don't expect to be able to re-sign or to want to re-sign to move forward because they just don't have the right mixture to to make a run right now is, is the way they're feeling. And again, a lot of that is driven by ownership, being cheap, not believing in the, the, the team that they have because they just want to save a buck. And I think that's what you're eventually going to see happen in Chicago. It's an absolute shame, but... The Ricketts are uh, crying poor up there, and the Cubs fans are potentially going to end up paying for that in the, the coming years. Cardinals won't complain about that. If if everybody else in the division's not trying, that's just beneficial for them in St. Louis. But the Reds have been carried by a couple of really good hitters in Winker and Castellanos, and so they've been able to put together something in, in Cincinnati as well, and the Brewers are even above them. So it's not just going to happen via magic for the Cardinals, and you just would hate to think – a little bit better starting pitching in the month of June. Would that be the difference right now between Cardinals being a game below 500 and maybe four or five games above being right there in the mix in the central? As far as a trade deadline, I know we should have more of a trade deadline flavor to the podcast to be, to be shaped daily right now, but I don't know that the Cardinals are going to be all that active. And so 
you know, we'll kind of feel our way through the next week or so as the deadline really begins to heat up. But offensively is where the Cardinals are, are most vulnerable, uh, I think, for the long haul because you just have to have the, the guys in the lineup that you planned on. They've got to be better. Uh, but on the pitching side is where the Cardinals could absolutely use some help. But the fact that that help may be coming in the form of Michaelis Flaherty a few weeks down the road, I don't know if they're going to be all that inspired to make changes as the deadline approaches. So we'll have to wait and see. But really good series win. Like the takeaway should be a positive one for the Cardinals over the weekend, able to get things done against the Giants. Cubs coming into town for four games. Uh, we'll have plenty of B-shaped daily coming your way. So make sure you subscribe. You can go to Apple podcast or spotify google podcast uh, any of those places we'll have b-shaped daily locked and loaded all week long uh would love to have your your subscription over there if you're a uh, just recent convert to uh, listening to the show we'd love to have you along for the ride but i don't know what it's going to look like on monday and tuesday when the cardinals face the cubs and they have woodford going on monday and either something creative or what we all expect oviedo on tuesday and then you can kind of revert back to the Wainwright on Wednesday, presumably, and then end up back with uh, Kwon Young Kim for the Thursday game, which uh, will be the first game of the year that I will attend as a spectator and not in a working capacity. So we might be able to do still podcast Thursday night because I will be tuned into the game. I just won't be officially covering it. So if you're down at the ballpark and you've said, I've gotten some DMs like, oh, I would love to, to buy you a beer. would love to have a beer with you. I don't expect everybody to buy me a beer, but if anybody's looking to have a beer meet up, I will be at the game on Thursday and might be able to do some more, uh, you know, a little looser capacity. I won't be, uh, I won't be uh, up in the press box. I'll be with the people out in the seats. So I'll be looking forward to that, but appreciate you guys as always for listening to the show. going to wrap things up here. I've rambled on long enough. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to uh, stay tuned throughout the week. It's going to be a big week for the Cardinals. Like, you've got the Cubs in town. You've got the opportunity to surpass them, get into third place, start knocking teams off your list if you're trying to make a run here in the Central. But more than that, it's like this week could kind of direct whether John Moselak and company are able to do anything at the deadline. Like, if you lose, you know, five out of seven the next week, yeah, the Cardinals are looking in a direction that's like, why should we be motivated at all? That may be their answer anyway. But if you win five of seven and suddenly you're starting to develop some traction, I just feel like the Cardinals front office could be a little more motivated in that situation to try to supplement this team as the trade deadline approaches. So we'll see how it unfolds. Appreciate you guys as always. Going to wrap things up here for this edition of B-Shape Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.